Hello, everyone, and thanks for giving us your time today for VR Download. In case you're new here, each week we meet in virtual reality using the latest technologies to discuss the next generation of personal computing. My name is Ian Hamilton. I'm in the United States, joined by my colleague David Heaney in Northern Ireland. VR brings us together into this broadcast studio where we've got automatic cameras and a TV to show stuff to our viewers. We can see live YouTube comments on our tablets when we're live and syndicate VR download to all podcast platforms after we broadcast. We encourage our viewers to become members and subscribe to our work to support us and upload VR as we continue our work chronicling the next steps in personal computing. This week, we're sponsored by Vale VR. They just released in early access on Steam. That's a first-person shooter built with immersive physics, full-body animations and skins. You can climb, vault, ride, zip lines, and defy gravity on jump pads to achieve victory in this 5v5 competitive shooter. Heaney, what do we have today? Today, we'll be talking about Pico 4 taking off on Steam VR a game-changing feature for accessing WebXR content on Quest. We'll talk about the Quest V47 update, which brings pass-through recording to Quest Pro and replaces the ghost hands in Quest Home with your meta avatar arms. We'll talk about the Quest app's much-needed redesign. And finally, we'll be talking about the new report that Apple's headset may be delayed to later next year. Yeah, a lot of stuff. We're going to have a lot of discussion, I think, on a couple of those subjects. No more Zuck shirt for Heaney. Someone is pointing out there and even have a chance here to notice. That was eerie for you to have the exact same shirt as that avatar image. Very yeah, strange. the first thing I did as soon as I got out of the show, which went and changed that, that was a little bit too creepy. <laughs> <laughs> We've got our showcase coming up on December 7th at 11 a.m. Pacific. I've looked through... Some of the stuff that's coming, I think we'll talk a little bit more about it right at the end of the show, but I am extremely excited about some of the stuff that we're going to have in our showcase. We'll get into that more later. But Heaney, why don't you talk about this first subject about Pico? Pico 4 in November was by far the fastest growing headset on the Steam hardware survey, which is Valve's monthly data report on what different specifications and components and peripherals people are using in their PC. So when this data was originally released last week, the category of other headsets, which is anything not listed above, was by far the highest growing, and that was 0.61% above what it was before. Again, to be clear, these are relative usage shares that add up to 100%, detailing relative percentage of each VR headset compared to the overall use of VR headsets on Steam. So a few days later, Valve updated the data to break out Pico 4, and that revealed that the vast majority of this other growth was actually the Pico 4. As you can see, its relative usage share increased by 0.48% in absolute terms. And that means that even if the entire remaining 0.13% was Quest Pro, even if that entire thing was Quest Pro, Pico 4 would still have grown almost four times as much. So if there were there was a report a few weeks ago that kind of questioned the success of Pico 4's launch, but it looks like at least when it comes to people using these headsets for PC VR on Steam, Pico 4 is significantly outselling the Quest Pro. Again, with that caveat that we're talking about PC VR usage, not standalone. And obviously with the caveat that in the markets Pico 4 is sold, it is sold for four times the price of Quest Pro. 
Yeah, so Guy Godin in our comments, the creator of Virtual Desktop, he put out an article with a few more details on this and noting something that Guy talked about on our show previously, that Virtual Desktop will report Pico as Quest, right? Guy Godin told us last week that people who are using their Pico 4 to access Steam via Virtual Desktop, Guy Godin, the developer, says should show up as Quest 2. But it's remarkably notable here that Quest 2 usage actually decreased. So clearly what this means is if Guy is correct, the majority of Pico 4 usage on Steam VR, unless there was a massive contraction of Quest 2, is coming from Pico's built-in free streaming capabilities. Just like Quest, Pico 4 lets you use your headset over USB or Wi-Fi. But as I noted in my review, you'll get a much better experience by paying for virtual desktop than you will. But again, if this data is to be sort of interpreted as we are interpreting it, and as long as we're not making some sort of fundamental misassumption, it looks like people are choosing to go with the free option, at least for now. Perhaps when they get more used to the limitations of the free option, they'll decide to upgrade. Yeah, so Heaney and I debate between us a lot about what headlines to do and how much weight to give this survey. We've seen the survey results shift. We've reported about that change times. There's going to be changes just in the way the the sampling works month to month. We can still look at this chart and see some trends and some interesting things. We still obviously don't see Quest Pro officially represented on this list, but just in like the first month, rifling past all of the headsets that aren't officially, like, that they're just very small or haven't been sold anymore, with the exception of a couple platforms that are sort of aging. Like, if we put labels next to a lot of these names, we actually can determine quite a lot, like Windows Mixed Reality. We know it hasn't been updated in a long time. And this is the one right below it. That's almost 3% of the Steam VR usage. Oculus Quest. That headset hasn't been sold in multiple years now, having been replaced by the top headset on the platform. And that's remarkable that a headset, that, like that's how much bigger that number is. That's how much more of an install base there is for Oculus Quest headsets compared to everything else on this list. But we, I think there's a very realistic thing here that in the next few months, Pico could climb up and ladder itself up this list to get past a headset that hasn't been sold in a couple of years. And that is the real question that we're going to be watching in the next updates to the survey is how quickly does Pico get to where Quest was after not being sold for a couple of years? Pico 4 has only really been out for a month now in terms of when it actually has been shipping at volume. So if you look at the momentum here, it's clear that this is going to quite quickly overtake the likes of the Vive Pro 2, potentially and very likely the Vive Cosmos and the Vive Pro. And it will be fascinating to see when does Pico 4 get to the number two. And of course, the more interesting question is over the course of next year, uh, if Pico is able to deliver the kind of content and continue to keep that sales momentum and perhaps even expand into other markets, like potentially at some point, North America, will it get to a point where it is competitive with Quest 2? Or is it still going to remain in this kind of zone here that is significantly below the top three? As you can see, there's, there's nothing that really comes close to the Rift S, the Index, and the Quest 2 at the moment. So yeah, this will be 
fascinating to see. When it comes to the accuracy of this survey, I think a lot of people are too hard on it. We track this data very carefully. We have this in an Excel spreadsheet and we have been monitoring this for years and it's remarkably consistent. If it was as inaccurate as a lot of people like to pretend it is, you would see wild variations in these figures throughout every month. And that's only happened on a few occasions when Valve has actually made a mistake and then they come back later and they admit the mistake and correct it. That's like a bug rather than a fundamental issue with the methodology. When you have a sample size this big from a Steam user base, you do tend to get fairly reliable and consistent data. And a lot of people still believe it works like it did in the far past when all it did was scan your USB devices to see what headset is currently plugged in. But how this head, how this survey has actually worked for the past two years, the past two and a half years actually, is that it scans your Steam VR logs from the past month and checks what headset were you using in the past month on Steam VR. Yeah, and I, I think we've gone so long without a new VR headset that people have been become fixated on little changes in the top and bottom numbers that aren't as as important as some of the things I just talked about, where you can make a pretty good list of what things you should focus on as a developer based on what is here, right? You focus first on Quest 2, then Valve, then you know all these other things down to here. You want to make sure you support them if you're going to support a PC. But this is also an interesting takeaway that if you're going to go focus on VR, you should maybe think about Quest 2 absolutely first, even in standalone mode, just based on the gap between that number and all the rest. That it just It's a sign of how big that market is. And it's taken us a couple years now, even since Quest 2, to have something really remarkable climb onto this list in a significant way. Given that this is standalone and that it connects to PC, I'll be really curious to see how far up this list it gets, because it really could get above Windows Mixed Reality probably pretty fast if it sells well enough. But then again, it might not sell that well. I don't know. I think it really does come down to whether Pico can launch in other markets. It is that question that everyone's always asking, when is it going to come to North America? We've seen job listings that suggest Pico is planning to eventually come to North America, but is that going to happen with Pico 4 or are they going to wait for Pico 5? We don't know. Uh, obviously, you can import it, you know, just like you can import any product that's not officially sold in your country, but then you're going to come with the issue that if there's some sort of warranty issue or a repair needed, you're usually screwed because the company will usually just say to you, sorry, you're not even in a supported continent, never mind country, fix it yourself. I want to mention Avail VR again. That game was built from the ground up to support competitiveness from standardizing player height to preventing play space cheats. You can trust that every match will be competitive and fair. It's available now on Steam. And their next esports tournament starts in January, so get ready for that. Heaney, let's move right on to this new feature for WebXR. We've followed WebXR for quite a while, and it's evolved, I want to say, quickly and slowly at the same time, right? People want WebXR to do a lot of things it isn't necessarily ready to do, and they wanted it yesterday. But why don't you talk about how this changes everything up? 
So this feature really is a game changer and people use the phrase game changer a lot, but I really mean it when I say this. So how this works is that say you're on your phone, your tablet, your laptop or your PC and you come across a WebXR experience. So that's a VR experience that is entirely accessed through a web browser and you want to access it on your Quest. In the past, you would have to, you know, remember that URL and kind of transfer it through some sort of messaging system. You would have to maybe just go onto your Quest browser, Google for the experience, and then find it eventually and click on it. But this new feature means that all you do, if the developer integrates this, is click on an open in Quest button. So this is on your phone or your PC, and then you will be brought to this interface. And if you click open on your Quest Pro or your Quest 2, in the background, automatically, your Quest will open the Oculus browser, the MetaQuest browser, and navigate to that URL. So this can actually be any URL. It doesn't even have to be a WebXR experience. But what that means is that you put your headset on and it's already loaded and you're into it. So anytime you find an interesting WebXR experience on the internet, you just click, two clicks, put on your headset and you're in it. And that kind of friction is really builds on the promise of WebXR. Not having to go to an app store and download a specific app and wait for it to be on your headset and wait for it to install and then launch. Not all of that kind of friction of having to you know, type on a VR keyboard and find exactly where you want in the browser. Just you see it on your phone or your PC, you click these two buttons and you're in it. I really do think this is a game changer for WebXR. Yeah, we have to kind of see a couple uses of it, I think, to have a click for a lot of the viewers out there. If you can really jump into something else with somebody else quickly using this, I think that'll make it click for a lot of people. Are there specific things here that you think are going to be big to you know experience this way, Heaney? Well, I guess the last thing I'd say about this is that if you find something and you don't want to play it immediately, but you want to come back to it soon, you click this Save to VR button. And then when you open your headset, you'll see a list of saved experiences and you can jump into them just like a bookmark system. The example I've used here in the article and the example I'd recommend anyone try if you're skeptical about can a VR experience really be delivered through just the Quest web browser that actually matches native apps is the Hello WebXR, welcome to WebXR experience from Mozilla, the makers of Firefox. So yeah, you go to that Hello WebXR and it's a great kind of intro experience that shows the technology. And the great thing about the web is that any web developer can just inspect the source and have a look at that and see exactly how it works. Do you expect Horizon Worlds to interact with this in any way or is it a completely separate system? So that that is a fascinating question because Horizon, we do know, will get a web client, as in web on your phone and your laptop. The question is, will Meta then actually integrate WebXR or will they try to leverage the performance advantages and native API advantages of using the native app? Because you can't get some of the features like the Meta avatars, for example, and there are still things that are only possible in native apps that aren't possible on the web. But if Meta is serious about WebXR, and if it really wants to make the friction of getting into Horizon as low as possible, eventually you would have to expect they're going to support that too. Yeah, I'm wondering where Horizon Worlds goes. We've heard conflicting things, or at least Zuckerberg has set goals out for the Horizon team for multiple years. And then the reality of how hard this thing is to deliver has pushed those release dates out, those expectations out beyond where it was actually going to reach. If I can meet up with other people and then get to a game together, both through this route, things are going to get a lot easier. And I 
you know, Zuckerberg has a long history of, I remember when Facebook was giving out the customized URLs you could get for your Facebook profile. And they had like a global launch on a single day where you could click the button as fast as you could to claim the URL that was for your profile. And this came from like a period of time when Facebook was trying to stick its fingers into the web in various ways. So they had the like button, and then they had comments, and you could add these things to other websites in various ways. And Facebook got its, you know, got its fingers into more things beyond just its home website. Well, when you could go up and sign up for this URL, it was another type of branding effort, just like we're having today with sort of verified blue from Twitter becoming this service to establish to the whole of the world, I am an actual real person. Facebook has a long history with that. They've had this history of trying to give you a public, a, a way to get across really quickly to a lot of people your home place. I guess I just wonder if they're going to have a system here. Like, this URL is really long. Are they going to have a way for us to simplify that and share that out publicly? Is this going to be a social layer, or is this strictly for navigating without social part of it? Well, they already have a kind of social link sharing system on the Quest phone app. Which we'll talk about the Quest phone app soon, where you can send someone a link that invites them into a party so that when they click on that, their headset will launch straight into your party. The point of this is that you no longer have to copy across the URL or worry about that because you're already navigating on your smartphone and tablet. Sure. Yeah. I, I saw a really good video showing how assets should load and how quickly they should load. And it goes back to a lot of what you said, Heaney, that it's just ridiculous that you have to wait for hundreds of megabytes. We know this is the route to getting to things instantly, but it's an add-on to the system right now. It's not integrated at the core. So there's a lot of things that can change to make this seem smoother than it is right now. So what we have one thing I would mention when it comes to assets loading in is obviously you still have to have the app and you still have to have it updated, but Horizon Worlds has actually implemented this new Visit 2.0 system, which is very interesting in that it loads in the world progressively so that there's a much, much shorter loading screen. And in my experience on, on my headset, it now loads much quicker than Rec Room or VR Chat when you go to a new room because... I may misunderstand, but as far as I'm aware, based on what I'm seeing, it looks like Recrum and VR chat load in the entire world and then, you know, from the internet and then load it in front of you. Whereas Horizon seems to just load a basic environment and then load the assets one by one. And that was something we actually originally saw on the Oculus Rift's home 2.0 system. If anyone remembers that, where you could create your own home and when you travel to someone else's, it would load in the objects one by one. So these sort of things don't really matter so much on traditional gaming platforms because you're able to kind of sit on your phone or you're, you kind of have another tab open on your PC. But in VR, when you're completely encapsulated, that friction, that loading time needs to be as low as possible. And so many app developers are working so hard and rightly so to make it so that the time from when you open a VR app until you're actually into the action is as short as physically possible. Yeah, so Quentin asking, the real question right now is what is Horizon bringing to the table that you can't get elsewhere? Right now, nothing I can think of. Long-term interoperability. I think that is going to the core of what we're trying to explore here in this discussion is if you can tack on this experience to Horizon 
and even simplify the URL beyond what's here, you have the future metaverse and you have something that's a little bit different than what Rec Room and others are doing right now. So yeah, there already is a destination system within Quest that any developer can use where you can actually share a URL and then you have the same exact system of open in VR and you open your headset and it loads into that part of the game. So if you're a developer, even of a single player app, you can theoretically share a URL to a specific mission or a specific level and then people click and open it. The problem is, of course, because so many of these apps are uh, rightly so, for business reasons, designed to work across many different platforms, they're not going to to use their limited development time to implement Quest-specific features. But obviously, Meta will, because their focus is on showing off the platform's best skills. And right now, as far as I'm aware, you already can do that for Horizon. You can send someone a link on a instant messaging platform, they can click it, and then they can load straight into your world from their headset. But again, Meta needs to make the UX better on this. Should we talk about the Quest Pros being able to record pass-through? Yeah, this was kind of a a new thing uh, that's been asked for for a long time, but it is a little bit different from sort of developers getting direct access to the cameras. There are yeah, developers out there who want some of that access, and they've been unable to over time. And then, yeah, I was in my Quest Pro at one point recording video with the headset, and I suddenly had the camera view into my room recording as well. And that was completely unexpected. We were actually joking internally that if you have this on in your recording and you lean out of your room for even like half a second, people can look into your room and you might not notice that over like an hour of footage that you accidentally leaned out of your room for just half a second in there, and now everyone sees what's in your physical space without you realizing it. That is something that can happen, but there are warnings in front of a lot of what Meta is doing this way, so I don't think people activate this without knowing that specifically what's going to happen, I think. Right, Heaney? Yeah, just to be very clear, if anyone hasn't kept up with the news here, the news here is that with the new V47 update, whereas previously when you recorded in a Quest Pro, it would exclude the real-world pass-through. It would show up as bl- blank blackness. So if you're in a mixed reality app, you just see the virtual content on a black background. If you, as Ian mentioned, leaned out of your play space, you would just see blackness. But now with this new update, you will see those real cameras passing through. And that applies to casting as well. So if you cast your headset to a TV, everyone will see the real room. You turn around at someone and they'll see themselves, which is obviously going to be a neat thing for any demos people are doing. And that means that technically the Quest Pro is now a first-person camera. Although if you've been following our show and our review, you'll know that the quality of the video pass-through is so low that you wouldn't ever want to really use that in a practical sense. But the advantage here, obviously, is that you can now show off and share mixed reality content in Quest Pro, and people will understand what is actually going on, because instead of just blackness, they see your real room. So you can now record mixed reality, which is something that creators have been asking for since the very launch of Quest Pro. And to be honest, it's quite surprising that it wasn't there at launch. Yeah, and that is exactly what Guy Godin just said in the comments. Kind of silly this wasn't the case from the start. Yeah, the I've been recording more videos in VR and trying to get the best settings, and it's hysterical to me that we're this many years into it, and there's still 10 different ways to record your footage from VR, and only one of them works well for any given specific 
like thing you want to capture, right? Like you can record square, you can record rectangular. And there's this feature in the actual Oculus operating system's latest camera update that you can stabilize your video. And I know there's been stabilization in various ways, but being able to stabilize your mobile video is really critical to making it look great for viewers out there. As far as I'm aware, the stabilization is screen space, so it is stabilized. It's whatever you're recording, be it pass-through or virtual, it should be stabilized. But I haven't tried it yet, so I'm not 100% sure. Well, that'll be so that that gets to the question of the quality of the camera, then, right? So if that actually works right, if they can actually improve the cameras on these next headsets, that stabilized video camera becomes a really, really interesting thing. Like plenty of people have learned to control a camera with their hands. But actually being able to visualize the camera with your head movements moving around, that's how cutting-edge movies are being made by the biggest Hollywood directors right now. Like, you are putting yourself in VR and picturing how the camera should move through a virtual set on some of the biggest movies out there. Like, we've heard some of those directors using VR that way to visualize their work. I would be really curious about whether we'll see VR headsets doing really cool things as this as this progresses, right? We've seen misleading videos showing AR through phone-based systems, and the experience doesn't match what you actually see through the phone. But with a headset-based camera in mixed reality, you actually get a better experience, don't you? Yeah, it'll be fascinating to see what people start to do once these cameras do get better. As we've always talked about on this show, the the first generation of mixed reality headsets we're seeing now with the likes of Quest Pro are very much so the, the first generation. This is the worst that video pass-through will ever be, and it's only going to get significantly better over time, just as you know, 10 years ago, smartphone video cameras were absolutely terrible, and now some of them rival proper DSLR video cameras, which is incredible in many ways. But that, that kind of first-person capture uh, use case is interesting because that's what Meta positions the Ray-Ban stories around, and that's what the kind of usage of these upcoming smart glasses is likely to be. So, you know, within the home, are there going to be use cases like that? Could there be, you know, for example, cooking content where you want to have recording both of your hands uh, in the kitchen? Could these headsets be used for that once they get slimmer and lighter and the pass-through quality is much better? We'll have to see. Mm. We ready to move on to the next subject or are there any comments there you want to respond to? Yeah, I think we can talk about the new Quest, MetaQuest app update. Yeah, so this kind of relates to a little bit of the WebXR friction that's getting removed from setup. Almost everyone that I talk to has been frustrated by the app's design and how it buries pretty key things. But you've been following how these things could get better for a while here. Yeah, as you say, it's notoriously bad that the Quest app that you are required to use to set up the device and that you can use to do things like remotely launch apps and cast the headset's view to the app and sort of manage friends and start up a party before you're in. The problem is, as you say, they buried so much of the default functionality in this little menu tab to the right. And what the app was essentially designed or intended to do was basically just be a store. All they're trying to do in the previous version of this app, before this redesign, when you launch it, is just show you as much content as possible to hope that you'll purchase it. And, you know, that makes sense from their perspective of trying to, you know, generate revenue and, as they would say, uh, enable developer success. You, you can't see I'm doing kind of quote fingers. But 
what they've now done is realize that a lot of people want to use this app for practical purposes and not just as a storefront. So in this redesign, you have in the main tab, when you open it, a bar at the top that if you tap this, you open a panel that gives you quick access to your headsets app library. So you can launch an app, uh, for example, if you're demoing to someone or if you want to have it launched before you put on the headset, you can manage your settings. You can actually type in VR using your phone if you just really hate using those laser pointer keyboards. And most importantly, you've got a one-click access to casting. One of the primary uses of this app is to cast the view when you're showing the headset to someone else. Or if you're just kind of having some sort of a VR party, you can cast to your TV if you have Chromecast. There's also a bar of your most recently online friends. And that was one of the most crazy and frustrating parts of this app is that previously to get to your friends, you had to go into the menu, click people, and then most of the interface was taken up by this people you may know. They were showing you friend recommendations instead of your actual friends. So obviously, Meta has started to listen to at least some of the feedback here and is starting to make the app more focused around what the user actually wants to do, not what Meta wants them to do. Yeah, James asking this question, wait, can I use my phone as a keyboard for text input? Yes, that's what this does. So you use this feature and it just passes through the text. And this is something that's actually quite common now in uh, smart TV platforms on both Google's Android TV and Apple's Apple TV. You can use your phone to type just because it's so awkward to type with those kind of... uh, TV remote interfaces. Yeah, and I'm seeing Guy make the joke that the mobile app still doesn't support landscape orientation on iPad. It's been almost three years. I love that because I, yeah, I have an iPad. I've installed the Quest app on it, and it's an absolutely miserable experience. They should fix that. There, there's a weird resistance to support tablets at Meta. One of the biggest complaints Meta gets, according to a report I read a few years ago from all of their customers, is that their Instagram app is completely hostile on an iPad. I don't think it works at all on an iPad or maybe only through the kind of iPhone simulation system where it shows up as a small app. And so, yeah, there's something, someone at Meta or some organizational functionality at Meta is deeply against the idea of supporting tablets for some reason. I don't know. Why. Mm, it's an interesting interesting thing there. I wonder a lot about using your phone in VR, right? Like I've talked about that Heaney, like far-fetched idea that your phone is tracked one-to-one and you're holding it in your hand and you can see the screen as clearly as you could in the real world because all they have to do is show you a a virtual version of the screen. Um, But a tablet is such a bulkier device, you can't really hold it in two hands. It's unlikely that you're going to really want to do that as often. I wonder, Apple's the one place where that could be feasible, where it would be cool to have this large touchscreen surface in front of you and interact with it and use that to command certain things. I still think it's a little bit like asking the original iPhone to let you use your Mac from it. These devices should be overcoming the limitations of physical devices, not just copying them in. You know, theoretically with VR, anything becomes a tablet. You could pick up a book and they could project a virtual surface on it and use your hand tracking to decide when you're touching it. Obviously, the hardware isn't yet there yet, but it will be in just a few years. So why would they waste all of these resources to develop a feature that becomes obsolete in a few years? Well, that that takes us back to the little thimble, right? Because... You're right, Heaney, but we had, was it, what was it, resistive touchscreens prior to capacitive touchscreens? And the difference in quality of the input was enough to keep that market dead, to make that not a usable thing. And if that's the only touch interface you can have, 
if like the quality of the touch interface is between being 100% or 99% accurate versus being what 95% accurate, you're not going to ever want to interact with things that way. But if it is that accurate, if you have like the thimble or whatever, I, I absolutely think you're right that like being able to interact with every surface as a touchscreen is a really feasible thing. It's a great point he makes that in the short term, hand tracking quality may not, not be up to the quality you would expect if you do want to have anything as a touchscreen. But I'm quite bullish that in the next few years, that's going to dramatically increase as the sensors that are in front of these headsets get better and better. <laughs> yeah, Bradley, I, I made the Oculus system gesture, and apparently that was enough to boot me out. It made the Oculus system gesture on the wrong hand, and it booted me right out of the experience. So oh, you used the menu button? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's but I, yeah, I typically do it on my right hand, and apparently if I did it with my left hand, that booted me right out of the experience, so... Whatever. <laughs> Any comments you want to respond to? Uh, just the reports of your death. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, let's talk about the meta avatars replacing the ghost hands in Quest's home environment. This is a silly change in one respect because, you know, you ask the average person in VR whether they had arms in the experience or not. They may not, like, remember because you go into the app and some apps have them, some apps don't. Some apps have controllers you hold, some apps don't. It's, it's easy to, to have all of the above in that experience. But, like, it's just really mind-bending to realize, oh, wait, I didn't, I didn't have arms in that last experience. And now there's just a lot of people waking up, putting their quests on for the first time in a while, looking down and suddenly having more of their body there in VR than ever before. Why don't you walk us through this, Heaney? Yeah, there's definitely sort of arguments for this or against. Ideally, this would be an option for the user, whether they want to have those floating ghost hands like before or whether they want to have their meta avatar. It seems that the reason Meta's done this is A, for platform consistency, so that when you're, you know, we, we've, it's kind of ironic that in many ways we've spent a lot of these shows complaining that too much of the Quest first party experience is so inconsistent with all of these kind of fragmented software elements. And then when Meta does do something to kind of add to the consistency, we're complaining about it again. So you do have that platform consistency aspect. There's also the fact that the multi-user Quest Home already gave you the avatar arms. So they had to load that in separately when you added someone from your party into your home. They obviously maybe want to remove that step so there's not that weird disconnect. But obviously the other side of this is that Many people do not identify with their meta avatar. They're going to look at these arms and think, these aren't my arms, I don't want these arms, and then kind of be very annoyed at that. But then the other side of that is, at the end of the day, this is only in the home experience. If you're just putting on your headset and clicking library and launching into your app, this is going to be something that you see for like five seconds, and then it's not really there. I see the arguments from both sides, and I really, ideally, this would just be an option for the user. Mm. Any specific subjects you want to get into here before we move on to our, our last sort of news? Because I've got a lot of sort of things in the, the back of my mind that I want to get into when we get into that subject. Because, yeah, like the difference between having arms, not having arms, having the thing, having just the, the objects that you're holding in your hand, those are fundamental like system level differences between a lot of the platforms today and it's something that i would expect apple to to have its like very clarified approach to right as it launches there's stuff related that i was thinking about earlier in our show that i want to get into people saying in our comments that they despise the meta avatar system 
and I don't know, like it's it's funny, like in your Heaney, like most of the time I'm okay with it. But then as soon as we start talking about the fact that they're fake, I start moving my elbows to test it. And then I start feeling uncomfortable because they made me think about it. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And that's what Guy Godin, the developer of Virtual Desktop, pointed out in our comments. It's it's very easy to make them break. It, if I try to rotate my elbow here, it is not actually being accurately reflected in VR. It's ironic that Meta talks so much about not wanting to add limbs to avatars until they can be tracked, and yet there isn't arm tracking. Theoretically, the Quest Pro's side cameras should be able to track your arms. It's really surprising to me that we're always talking about this future idea of downwards facing cameras for leg tracking, and yet they haven't actually done the low-hanging fruit of arm tracking. I think they really should have waited for that to be a thing before implementing this as a feature. Because if you're in this home experience and you look and you see your arms as they really are, that's a very different proposition to what you have now, where you see fake arms that aren't yours. Maybe that's something that is planned for the Quest Pro's life cycle, but I haven't heard anything from Meta about this. And weirdly, you've actually heard Mark Zuckerberg in a couple of interviews talk about arms as if they're a solved problem. He always says, you know, oh, we didn't have arms originally in VR. We only had hands and then we figured out how to do them properly. And it's like, sorry, Mark Zuckerberg. No, you didn't. You haven't actually solved that problem yet. You've just declared it solved without actually doing the hard technical work to solve it. Well, yeah, there's a difference between solving it now versus solving it six months or two years from now. And that's kind of what I was getting at earlier with the Horizon World stuff where a CEO comes out and says a target, and that's one way to get hundreds of your employees all going in the same direction. Because if they don't meet that target that he just publicly mentioned, there's probably going to be a major shift to what you do at your job. Let's get into that last subject here, although I am seeing some questions. Do we have any information on what software issues Apple is having? So we'll get into that very quickly here because we have heard some reports of what that might be. There were some questions earlier. There was one asking about going back to some of our reporting about the Alex and PSVR 2 rumors that are out there. Those are rumors, so we'll have to hear actual word about whether PSVR is going to get that game or not before we actually get into it. So let's get into Apple now, Heaney. What do we know here? And then let's uh, let's talk about how funny it is. Well, no is an interesting word because, of course, this is a product that has not been officially announced by Apple. There have been references in Apple's official code to the headset. There have been Apple trademarks that heavily suggest that this headset is going to be a thing. There have been reports from reliable outlets over the years describing it. Last year, there's a prominent supply chain analyst, Ming-Chi Kuo, and the Taiwanese news outlet DigiTimes, which is very physically close to where a lot of these products are assembled, reported that Apple's headset was coming this year in 2022. And that was actually originally reported by The Information, a news outlet in 2019 and by Bloomberg in 2020. So you have all four of these sources saying that this headset was going to come this year. But then uh, flashback to January of this year, and Bloomberg reported that there was going to be a delay to 2023 due to issues of overheating and software issues. And as we talked about at the time, some of the reporting has suggested that Apple is trying to put a MacBook-level processor into this slim and light headset, and that seems to be where some of those overheating issues were coming from. But now, sorry, in June of this year, 
Ming-Chi Kuo, that same supply chain analyst, had reported that Apple's headset would launch around June 2023 after being announced around January. But now Kuo, this is the news today, Kuo is saying that that has been delayed again to the second half of 2023 due to software-related issues. Kuo did not say what software-related issues these were, just that they were software-related issues. So, we know from we know or at least we've heard from the reporting over the years that Apple has had serious problems developing this headset and that as early as sorry as recently as 2019 which for a new product category is very recent they completely shifted the scope of the headset to be something that had a wireless console box that would stream high fidelity graphics to it to be a standalone headset like you know, Quest 2 or Quest Pro. And since then, they've had a lot of issues trying to meet their lofty goals that were previously being enabled by having external processing with just a standalone headset. So it's going to be fascinating to see what Apple is able to come up with by late 2023. And how close will that be to the release of Quest Pro 2? Because on the original timeframe of this headset, it looked like it was going to be competing with Quest Pro, but by the time it's out, Meta could be just months away from teasing or announcing a successor to Quest Pro. Now, a lot of our commenters here are discussing already the things Heaney and I have been discussing related to this, and Artful making the comment, delayed right into the release window of Quest 3. James O'Laughlin saying, I have to be the annoying voice again that Apple XR rumor mill is exhausting. Conversations are best when there is something tangible, and so far, it's a lot of smoke. Yes, I have worked tirelessly this year to make sure that we are the outlet of choice for hotel workers who find headsets. Uh, so uh, if that happens with the Apple headset, we uh, hopefully are the destination of choice uh, for for those leaks. Um I totally understand that, and that is why this is so funny, because this was predicted by a lot of people, right? It was expected by a lot of people, this timeline, this delay, and the idea that it might still never surface, never has surfaced before, despite maybe a decade of rumors that it's been worked on. Apple, more than any other company, is ready to cut something from their lineup if it isn't actually ready to ship at the scale that they want to ship it at. And there is so much that needs to be in the software layers of VR and AR headsets for it to be a large market for a lot of people. We've got Guy Godin in our comments who produces one of the pieces of software that, to my eyes, is fundamental in making VR available to a lot of different people. And it wasn't built into the system. That's something that Apple is either going to build from the ground up for itself or have a few third parties add a little bit later. It's Well, PC it's kinda, VR. Mm. The, the majority of Quest users don't use their headset with their PC, just to be clear. You know, the, most people still use it a completely standalone. Sure, yeah. No, there's, that's, of course, a, a big aspect to it, right? Standalone, but like... That's uh, Well, there's all the software apps that we've heard of in this latest round of rumors that are supposedly in the works for, for the headset, Heaney. How far do you think Apple's really going to get in building those with, I don't know, first-person interaction principles in mind? How different are they going to be from what we've already seen? Yeah, that will be fascinating to see. Bloomberg has reported that Apple is working on a VR client for FaceTime, where you have face tracking driving Memojis, just like the kind of VR app we're using right now. You have avatars driven by 
face tracking, not in this case, but on Quest Pro, that's something that's supported. They're also reportedly developing a VR version of Maps. And I think Maps hides what that probably is. That probably is something like Google Earth VR, which is something that's only available right now on PC VR. If that's something in standalone, that could be a massive use case. Being able to put on your headset and have a 3D version of the world where you can navigate anywhere using all of that 3D data Apple's been integrating in the past year. They're also apparently working on spatial versions of Notes calendar and the ability to view a max display in vr just like what we see with horizon workrooms yeah any computer less than 10 years old can be streamed to a vr ar headset by the way that's geek odin yeah so so th- we're talking about two completely different use cases of what virtual desktop is used for and all of them are smaller than standalone on its own right so they're all subsets of what people can do but i love you know so going back to what you're saying there, Heaney, about Google Earth, like some of my favorite VR experiences are seeing the whole Earth floating right in front of you. And there's several apps that have done that, but didn't sort of take it to all the places it could go, right? When you could, you know, you've got a you've got a version of the Earth on your Apple Watch that you can look and see the live view of where the shadow is and where night is going across the globe. There's screensavers on Apple TV that show views of Earth as you're floating over it. Yeah, it's amazing what they could do with just making that a core part of the experience. You know, seeing your your solar system as it actually is right now. Uh, you know, even rather than, you know, it would be amazing if you could zoom into the Earth and get into those fine-tuned details. But it's just as amazing to go the other way, too. Oh, I, I think that fine-tuned details is going to be the key element here. I think it's far more amazing to be able to, you know, open up a spatial version of Paris that fills your living room that you can kind of navigate around. It doesn't even have to be fully VR. It could be AR like that, where your entire living room floor becomes a miniature model of New York City or wherever you're going to be traveling to next. And you can actually kind of plan out things. You can see all of the the seven wonders of the world. You can see the Grand Canyon, something that everyone who has PC VR has probably experienced. And I would say if anyone watching this has a PC VR setup and you haven't tried Google Earth VR, go and do it right after this show. It will blow your mind. But it's something that hasn't been possible on Quest both because of the APIs that uh, the likes of Bing Maps and Google Maps make available to developers, but also just because of that standalone performance issue. Whereas Apple has this kind of end-to-end software stack, reportedly will have you know a very powerful MacBook-level processor in this thing. They have that metal graphics API that they are very used to working with. They could deliver an, that Google Earth experience on a standalone headset. And even that, for some people, could be a system seller, especially when you combine it with all of the other features that Apple could likely bring to the table here. That is what I, st- I still continuously think Apple's big strength will be here. The we- the biggest weakness of Quest Pro is that there isn't much in the way of first-party software, and the first-party software that is there is pretty half-assed and scattered all over the system, whereas MetaStrategy is essentially we'll build the SDK and the headset and developers will go out and build everything else in most cases. Whereas Apple is likely to, just like they did with the original iPhone, do something very different where they provide all of that functionality out of the box. As you often point out, Ian, as in many others do, the original iPhone launched without an app store, but Apple gave you the functionality that they thought would be key to selling this device out of the box. That's not something you have on Quest Pro right now. 
Yeah, I, I absolutely love the way this conversation has gone. I want to recommend for people that have a Quest store, if they use the Quest store, World, I think is what it's called, with like three O's in the middle there, is pretty close to this experience. And I think it just came out. It, it's different. It's missing certain pieces of it. Pretty cool experience if you can check that out on standalone. Um, and I totally agree with the mention of Google Earth. And it brings me to one of the things I wanted to mention as we get near the end of the show where we are assessing the best VR of 2022, right? We've had best VR awards year in and year out. We've tried to figure out how do we exactly put a focus on some of the coolest things to do in VR. I've shared some of this with Heaney and talked about it with our team, and we're, we're bringing together our own opinions on what's the best of VR that released this year, as well as the best VR to release in previous years, the best places you can go and things you can do inside VR headsets. And I love the mention of Google Earth VR here because that hasn't seen an update in years and is probably as dead as anything else in VR from Google. Yet it was done amazingly back when it came out. Yeah, I mean, does it need to have an update? You know, I, I often think there needs to be some pushback against this idea that any app that doesn't constantly release updates is dead. It, it, provor it provides the function it was designed to do. The actual data is being pulled in from Google servers, so it, it's getting updated over time. Sure. Well, I, I guess all I'm, yeah, what I'm saying is we've got World, this thing that just came out, and we've also got Google Earth that was done amazingly. I would put those in the same category of best mapping experience in VR and I would probably give Google Earth as the winner, even though you're, even though World is doing amazing things. Uh, but my point there is that uh, the best stuff in VR, we've had enough years of evolution here that it's starting to become very similar to recognizing the best things in the real physical world. That makes sense to have some analogies there. There is a best movie theater in VR. There's a best golf course. There's a best mini golf course. There are things just like you would have in your local community, best bookstore, right? You've got that as a local thing you can go to in the physical world. We aren't too far off from having one-to-one -one versions of so many of those real-world locations in virtual reality, and they're getting picked off the list one after another now in VR. So to exactly what Heaney is saying, a lot of the best of award systems out there award it based on new VR games, right? Like let's let's go down the list of existing genres in gaming and attach categories of VR awards to them. That doesn't quite make as much sense to me as exactly what Heaney's talking about. Like what's the best way to go around the earth <laughs> virtually and it's google earth and it has been for five years now and that's the kind of way i think we're going to think about our best of vr awards so that is all to say if you have anything that you think was amazing in vr came out this year or came out anytime previously it's the best in a specific category i'd be curious to hear about it you can email tips at uploadvr.com Give us those things to consider over the next week as we start putting together our best of lists here. I guess they could also comment on this video if you don't want to email us. You know, you can comment under this video after the time or on any yeah, of our kind of that's major great videos. Too. 
Yeah, if you've got sort of a long essay, I guess is what I was thinking, if you really want to get into all the different categories in your head. But yeah, we do see all the comments at the bottom of this video, and we do see all the emails to that email. We've got our showcase tomorrow, December 7th at 11 a.m. I have seen the trailers out there. I personally am absolutely uh, in love with the trailer that we got for Vertigo 2 from Zach, creating one of the coolest, most memorable experiences over there on Steam VR that's already been remastered. And now there's Vertigo 2, the sequel. Zach has teased that he submitted a trailer into the showcase that is in our showcase. And it is, I just adore it. It's amazing. And that's just one of many, many, many really cool trailers and videos that we have in our showcase tomorrow. So please share out the link to that with your contacts, friends, get them all in to watch this. We've tried really hard to cast a really wide net. The VR market is pretty strange in that you've got some devs that are attached to platforms and really need to work with them before they can release new products. You've got indies who are brand new trying out things for the first time. And in some cases, some of those indies, they're not necessarily indies. They've been working on things for 10, 15 years, but they're exceedingly good at their job and have been experimenting in VR for years that they're, they're simply doing the work of like teams that are three times as large as them. And then you have a lot of companies that are in between the space of just dozens of people. I hate the term AAA VR or, or AAA titles. We know that AAA needs to be brought into VR at the same time that we know that so much of the coolest work in VR is being done by small teams that have to get like AAA production out of much smaller pool of resources. But uh, I'm just so, so, so impressed with the people that have come together to put together this showcase with us. It's really cool. A lot of the trailers in there. I can't wait to see what games come out of them. Let me see. Is there anything else here that we should talk about? We're going on vacation at various times throughout the rest of this month. So I don't know what our schedule is going to look like for streaming before we get into January. As soon as CES revs up in Las Vegas, we expect some VR companies to be there in Las Vegas showing off their hardware and their next steps in computing. Any comments there that we should get to, Heaney? Zod has asked a few times, is Pro Quest Pro getting 120 hertz display? We were told by Meta, no is the answer to that, that the display is not capable of that. But what John Carmack actually said at Meta Connect this year was that all future Meta headsets will have 120 hertz. So if he's correct in that statement, Quest 3 and Quest Pro 2 should have 120 hertz display mode. Any other comments there? Scratch Glasses is asking, I think if I understand your question, you're asking if we're going to have a segment where we talk about the best worlds in the likes of VR Chat or Rec Room. And that's something we, we really want to do. In general, just to be completely open, we very much so in the long-term future want to be able to report more on those sorts of worlds that are created in these platforms because it truly is some of the most incredible things happening in VR are happening in the likes of VR Chat and Rec Room. Yeah, I, I, that's a really interesting way of thinking about it. I, I put those worlds in the same category as multiplayer games that cost dozens of dollars, right? Or, you know, up to $50, $40. And we see multiplayer worlds over, you know, multiplayer experiences driven down to the free-to-play 
model so often, it becomes unfair or difficult to compare some of these things. But I do think of those destinations in VR chat, rec room, as destinations, literally places you can go. And I think it doesn't matter what kind of experience it is. If you enjoyed your time in there and think others would recognize it as like the best version of what you can do virtually, uh, the best comparison to something you can do physically versus something you can do virtually, it doesn't matter to me whether that's hidden inside Rec Room or VR Chat or App Lab or Early Access on Steam. Those are just harder to get to places than something where we want to be, what we talked about earlier in this show, where you've just got a URL and load up into it. In a lot of cases, you have to jump through extra hoops to get to some of these locations that are amazing to visit in virtual reality. But it's all the same. It's all the same thing. They're all destinations, places that you want to go. And just sometimes you've got to take uh, multiple directions to get there. I think we've had a really, really cool show. Yeah, like I said, please tune into our showcase. Thank you again to Vail VR for sponsoring us. And we'll see you very soon. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, everyone, for watching.